Welcome to the Ohana Church Podcast channel. Our goal is to teach the truth so that people can find freedom. What is the good news anyways? We will answer this question as we study Paul's letter to the Romans. I think many will be surprised at what we discover. I'm super excited about this uh, teaching. I was going to start this teaching in um, August. I'm probably going to start a... uh, a regular meeting in August. Chelsea's helping me look for the community center or something so that we can uh, meet together as a as a body. But I couldn't wait for this message, for this teaching. So I said, well, let's just get the guys together right now. Do it early so all the fathers can go back and be fathers. And uh, yeah, so I really feel like this is, I think that was a Lord anyways, just kind of pushing the uh, envelope on this. In other words, there's an urgency in my heart to uh, teach what Paul was teaching in the book of Romans and uh, revisit the gospel that uh, he said would transform or has the power to transform human beings into superhuman beings, I guess, uh, transform hearts and minds. And uh, he was so adamant about his... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a hawk. <laughs> be all loud. <laughs> he was super adamant about this message that he said. He goes, he protected it. He says, listen, if anybody comes and gives you another message that I'm teaching, let that person be accursed. Even if, even if it's an angel itself coming down from heaven to speak to you another message that doesn't line up with the message I'm speaking, that angel is going to be cursed you know, and, um, that was pretty bold. Paul was basically saying, I've got the truth. I've, I've stumbled upon the truth. And, uh, this message that I'm preaching is it, you know, like, wow. You know, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty a bold statement by one man to make that statement. And, um, there were other, there were other, there were other apostles um, that were preaching the truth and they were the ones that were actually walking with Jesus and living with him, uh, during his span of life on this, well, his three years of ministry on the planet. Paul wasn't one of those guys. He was a, he was a post apostle, so to speak, in terms of, uh, his, uh, encounter with Jesus. It was, he, he encountered the resurrected Jesus and not even the resurrected Jesus who came back to, to see his disciples just basically on, the, on, a, on a road. And um, it was basically something that was a personal encounter. He heard God's voice. Everybody else thought that voice that he was listening to was thunder. So people could question his encounter all, all day about how are you, who are you to speak this truth? You weren't with Jesus. You know, even the apostles could probably say, like, they heard about him and they were like, you know, we need to meet, we need to meet this guy because his, his influence was tremendous. In fact, Paul himself is kind of given the, uh, uh, the status of spreading Christianity more than any other human being when it first started. And that's what he said his job was. His ministry was to the Gentiles or anybody who wasn't Jewish. He says he was the apostle to everybody else to, to spread the gospel to the non-Jews. Um, so he got gripped with this message and it changed, <laughs> changed the world. Man. <laughs> They're looking for uh, Aaron's raccoons. <laughs> oh, he's got something in his beak. <laughs> so, <clears throat> So we'll start with that. We're going to start with an intro to Romans because to understand Romans, you have to understand Paul a little bit. Or, anybody know what his his first name was before it was Paul? Saul. Yeah. (laughs) His first name was Saul. Um, uh, His Greek name, though, they say was actually Paulos or something like that. Uh, so a lot of people think his name completely changed after his trans transformation, but there is some tradition that says, no, he actually had a Greek name. 
uh, and it was actually Paulos, and he just kind of adopted that as a name to the Gentiles. Um, he was born a Roman citizen, which was a which is a good thing. Uh, got him out of one predicament. They're about to whip him, and uh, he used his citizenship to get out of some punishment. Too bad it didn't work all the time because he was beat to death on more than one occasion. One occasion they thought he was dead. <laughs> and uh, he got brought back up, um, kind of limped away. And um, so I want to get into his, his background a little bit. But before I do that, I want you to understand the urgency in this uh, for me is really the the mess that we see our world in right now now i'm not saying that the world hasn't been a mess before i know my dad was fighting the vietnam war and this country was divided back then um and it was divided over something happening on another side of the planet of, of the planet literally but there were a whole bunch of things that you know during your <laughs> your uh, growing up period revolutions, you know, probably some of the remnants of things that we're going through right now uh, was happening during his age. So the world has seen extreme chaos, extreme things going on. But there's a little bit different thing in the world today than was back then. And it's our connectivity to each other, uh, <laughs> global connectivity, which I think in one hand can be powerful like for instance this message could be in china right now if i were live streaming uh good things could be brought about quickly but there is a herd mentality a global herd mentality right now that is a little disturbing to me to see how quickly a group of people are willing to just jump off a cliff because somebody said boo. Um, and, you know, it used to be in the, you know, something could be happening in the world. We don't know about it. And we're all okay. You know, except for that part of the world is experiencing it. And there's this connectivity that says, oh gosh, the Japanese hornet is in Washington state. And one was spotted, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, that, that first hornet, and all of a sudden we're all looking for hornets, you know, that are going to come eat our bees and, and kill or sting our children. Uh, the most recent thing, you know, with uh, the riots that are going on, no matter what you feel about what happened, which was horrible with uh, the police and Mr. Floyd, now we've got places in our country that's people who don't really even care about that, that are just out there using it as a, an excuse to do all sorts of crazy things. Um, and so we're like, I'm just, I'm just looking at how quickly we went from pandemic headline news to social distance, please. You know, if, if you don't want to kill each other, you better social distance. If you get close to each other, don't wear a mask. You're a, you're a, you know, you're bad as a, as a murderer. Then the next day, you know, this comes out and everybody, the same, the same news outlets are, the pandemic is not even mentioned. I, I looked, I looked to see who, any headlines, that, that's all it was, was pandemic. And the next time when, when all this happened and the um, protests started, it didn't matter who was protesting. All the social distancing rules went out the window. The same people who are saying you need a social distancer to kill anybody. Now they're all, <laughs> nobody was social distancing. And, and there, was no, there was no headlines about the pandemic anymore. So who, whoever's in charge of the news, no matter which side you look at, they're powerful. And you don't even have to be a news, you don't have to be CNN or Fox, you can be a social media YouTube person. This, in, this, in, this, in this world today, social media has caused several uprisings in the world, good and bad. So it's interesting how quickly news spreads and how powerful news is. 
and I'm listening to all the philosophies and thoughts that are out there in the world right now. All the truths, <laughs> and if you couldn't see me on the podcast, I put that in quotes. <laughs> all the truths that are out there, and I'm just getting frustrated. I'm going, what truth matters? And, and where is the news today? What is the good news? Is there good news? Is there truth to be had? I know there's a, uh, a documentary that Sandy told me to watch right now on Netflix, which was interesting. It was about, um, it's about the prosperity teachers. Um, what's it called? Do you remember? American Gospel. American Gospel. Uh, and it's interesting. I, I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but Sandy said it was pretty good. And they were exposing a lot of the prosperity teachings that were going on. And uh, one of the uh, guys on there, I think, was Costi Hen. He was actually the son of one of the brothers of Benny Hen, you know. And um, and of course, Benny Hen's on the side of the prosperity teachers, and um, and how the American gospel has been perverted by money. <laughs> Go figure, <laughs> you know. But what I have seen bringing all this craziness, all the news that's going on and how to discern what's true and not true. What I have seen in our culture, even even further than the prosperity perversion of the gospel, and I'll just say the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Paul, um, <clears throat> is something that's been going on way before that. And it's something that we will see as a, as a as something that Paul was writing about. It's performance versus God's grace. It's performance versus God's grace. And one of the reformers actually took uh, Martin Luther, not King Jr., but Martin Luther, the reform, uh, the Catholic Church, he didn't like the book of James. He thought the book of James shouldn't be in scripture because it was talking about uh, show me your faith and uh, without works. He's saying faith without works is dead. That's the book of James. And, and Martin Luther's like, no, 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 no. He was so, Martin Luther got this performance versus grace thing. And he says, man, it's not by our performance. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. So he didn't like when James was saying, hey, you talk about your faith but show me, you know, show me the works that faith is producing in you, and I'll believe that. So it's interesting because this performance versus grace has been a topic for a long time and a, a, a place of maybe division inside the church. And so Paul is, Paul is actually tackling a performance-based faith and uh, what I see, and the reason I felt this was so urgent, is because I believe in this country there's something past the prosperity teaching that has snuck into the church. And actually in that American gospel, they, they, they touch on this issue of can we work out our salvation, you know, is the, you know what does it look like to just totally depend on God for salvation and I'll go back, and we're going to go into all this. What is salvation? What does that mean? Is it just whether I'm going to heaven or hell or not? And so we're going to get deep theologically, but we're going to, by dissecting what Paul was saying, because most of these divisions come back to what Paul wrote. <laughs> his writings, his scripture, if you want to call it that. Because if you want to know what scripture is, you know, if you will look up what is scripture and what's not scripture, scripture actually means in the Greek, it's graphy, which means writings. It's not very complicated. You know, it means anything you wrote could be called scripture. Now, holy scripture, a little bit set apart, holy means either set apart, um, something that's uh, given a purpose as opposed to you can't touch it. <laughs> it's holy, you can't touch this. Um, we always have that idea of holy. Holy means, doesn't mean that David, David's holy not because he cleaned and washed this morning. 
<laughs> took a shower. <laughs> uh, or even that his thoughts are clean. But usually when he describes something as holy in Scripture, it means that David has been set apart for a purpose. His life has been purposed, set apart to do something. And I'd like to grab a hold of that because I believe that this urgency that I have to present this good news is because we need some holy men. Not only holy and set apart for a purpose of spreading this good news, not just by our, our social media allies, but by our lives projecting what is true. But our hearts need to be whole. <laughs> W-H-O-L-E. And uh, understand what it means to live this gospel out. And uh, so, I believe we're in a great deception I believe it's snuck into our culture, our culture of church. A big reason of us coming out here as a community for me was to explore what does the church look like? And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it. <laughs> it looks like you, unfortunately, or fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny people keep asking me when are you going to start this or we're going to start that and I'm like I'm waiting for us <laughs> to be the church because it looks like Preston being alive in Christ every day what does that do what happened when 12 men came alive to the truth you know change the world turn the world upside down one man, Paul, that we're talking about, says they couldn't stop him. The message, as bad as the bad news is today, the message of the gospel spread like wildfire. And when it got stagnant in an area, God allowed persecution and spread those living churches to the rest of the world. Said, no, you can't get comfortable here. We're going to send you out. So I believe the world needs the church. The church that is living out the gospel according to Paul. And it will transform your life and then it can't help but transform everybody who comes in contact with you because it's living. <laughs> it's not just a theology or a doctrine. It's your life. <laughs> so... Um, so in this is knowing the truth versus great deception. There's a big movement in the church right now that has fallen away. The millennial generation has basically parted from the mainstream church. They've left the mainstream church in droves. And I get it. I understand why. They, they see the pros they've seen the prosperity gospel go out. They've seen the, the control factor in the, in the church. They've seen it and they've, they've rejected it. But what they've done in rejecting a lot of it, they've gone into this period of doubt, of self-reflection, of what is the truth. And I get so frustrated listening to some of the podcasts that are out there right now by people who have claimed to be Christians in the past, who have come out of it, worship leaders and such who have been in that, and now they're questioning Jesus himself. And I want to I tell them, shut up. Just because you're questioning, don't make it, you know, go through your questions, but don't cause seeds of doubt to who Jesus is. Number one, it, 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 it brings up angst in me because he's my best friend. If anybody talks about my best friend bad, in a poor sense, even doubt his reality, I get angry. And I think any of us would if you heard somebody talking about one of your friends or your family members in a, in a light doubting their agenda, doubting their, their lives. So when I hear these millennials, or I'll put them all in that group for right now, making it, and people calling in and saying, yeah, we're, just, we're gonna just kind of doubt along with each other and kind of explore all the truths that are out there. And I'm going, hold on, there's only one name. There's a name above all other names. 
Because it's a very personal gospel at the same time. It's not just my head. And a lot of these people are living in their heads putting these podcasts and I'm like, shut up! (laughs) Do you understand that you can spread doubt just as easily as truth? So figure yourself out. (laughs) You know, ask the questions, yes. When you start dogging on my best friend... I'm going to put another voice out there. So this is a bit militant at the same time to come combat the doubt that is out there. And I've been quiet watching and waiting and watching the social media world. I don't participate in it. I wanted to see because I, I, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. To me. I'm not going to... It's too... I get sucked in by pictures, images just as easily as the next person, videos... and I'm watching people take in information and just and then we're lost so I'm very passionate about this message I'm not going to have any apologies for it because it has transformed my life I know it's true in fact so true that I would give my life for it and that's been tested on more than one occasion whether I would be willing to give my life for this message so yeah I'm a little passionate about it <laughs> especially now and uh, I'm just so glad to see the faces that are here because I do believe how many 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 12 12 Isn't that strange? I didn't plan that. (laughs) I did not plan that. (laughs) (laughs) 12,000. This is what Paul said about the end times, which I believe we're living in. This is in 2 Timothy uh, 4. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And then again in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And here it says, Paul says, avoid such people. And I think this describes a generation. And it's scary to me what our kids are growing, my grandkids are growing up in, the generation that my grandkids are growing up in. Today, your thought, as, you, as, as parents, you're like, man, if you spank your kid, you're barbaric. You know, there is a semblance of righteousness that says, hey, if you don't, if you walk out into this world without a mask, you're a murderer. I mean, we were guilted right now. We're guilted into, you know, all, if you're not of African-American descent, you feel guilty, you know, for saying, what are we doing defunding cops? <gasps> I can't believe you don't understand this movement. I understand. <laughs> I don't want to see any human being killed by a cop. But that doesn't give a bunch of thugs the right to go destroy people's businesses. (laughs) You know, the generation that's being raised right now is on on the brink of anarchy. 
They're just looking for an excuse not to work. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are like, hey, I like this government check stuff. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I do what I want and get a check. <laughs> Print some more money, please. <laughs> Ignorant. <laughs> and so I, I get a little bit like, okay, I was just going to take what's next. What, what, what's going to happen next? But Paul's already, Paul talked about this 2,000 years ago. That in the end times. So, who is Paul? Well, Paul, he was a Jew. <laughs> All right, we'll go about race. He was Jewish. I said, but born a Roman citizen, which gave him kind of status and privilege. He could speak three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So anybody who speaks multiple languages, I already give him some credit for being smart. <laughs> right? Um, we all know or should know about him being a Pharisee. Um, the Pharisees were considered some of the most knowledgeable in the Holy Scriptures and the law of the Jews. At an early age, about age five, if you were in the Pharisees, like you would in the Jewish under that upbringing, you were raised, you already started, were taught the scriptures, how to memorize scripture. By about age 10, you would start understanding how the law works. Um, back then, the Old Testament wasn't necessarily completely canonized. You had the books like the first five books of the Bible, anybody know what they were kind of called? Torah. Pentuk, yeah. Pentuk. Pent meaning penta, meaning five books. And uh, so those were the, those were basically the, that was the, the basis of the, the scriptures that was like, okay, if there's any scripture, holy scripture at that time, it was the first five books. Anybody know who, uh, President, who wrote the first five books? Moses, Moses yeah, we're good. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> if you ever stump, just say Jesus. <laughs> um, the first five books are attributed to Moses. Now, there is some, and even in the Jewish tradition, there's some, you know, discrepancies in there, but a lot of people think that's what he was writing up on the mountain for 40 days. Um, but after that, it says, now the first five books are not to be added to. In Deuteronomy, it says, do not add to the words of, this, of these books. And uh, it had a pretty stern warning against adding to that holy scripture. So in Paul's day, there were the Pharisees who actually would read more of the scripture, which included the prophets and then all the other writings that make up the 39 books in the Old Testament. The sad, the, the, there's another group who studied. They only believed in the Pentateuch, which was the first five. They were this, this, the Sadducees. <laughs> and, and I think the Jews would make fun of them, and that's why they were called sad, you see, because they only had five books. <laughs> so if you want to remember it that way, they, they, were, they were sad because they only had five books. Where <laughs> The Pharisees studied all 39 Plus the Talmud, plus Maccabees, plus all the, there's a whole bunch of other books that weren't included in the canon of the 39, but yet studied in, as law and tradition. Paul was a Pharisee. And in his ministry time, in, in Jesus' time, the Sadducees and Pharisees were at odds. So Paul was a strict Pharisee, a zealot for the scriptures, a zealot, more for the scriptures, he was a zealot for God. He believed the scriptures. He believed that God, Yahweh, was the truth, the way and the life. So he took it to extremes. And more than just knowledge, Paul took it to the extreme where he, he said, anybody who came against the Jewish traditions, he would not only argue against them, but he would persecute them. And this sect called the Way, 
That's what the church was called in the early days. They were called the way. Christians. Paul was a persecutor of the Christians because in his mind, they came against the very scripture that he was taught as a young boy. They, take, they came against not only scriptures, but against Yahweh himself. Because they, they, they taught that there was a better way a fulfillment, so to speak, of what the scriptures in those days were, were pointing to. And he's like, you guys are a cult. You guys are wrong. You know, you were misinterpreting what the scriptures say. And I can't have this because you're influencing other Jews to follow Because the first Christians were Jews. He was, he was already a bit racist. <laughs> Paul, in terms of Jews, were, were very racist. The Pharisees, they'd call other people on the outside dogs. <laughs> Back then, it had been Gentile lives matter. Because back then, in his mind, Jews were the chosen and they were chosen for what is the question <laughs> you know so he was also a bit racist before his conversion um, people ask me all the time was, was, was Paul single and he, the easy answer is yes but was he single by choice or was he single because he was married before and divorced and I've read up on this a lot because it's an interesting thing because most Pharisees, most all of them, it was, they, 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 they got married. It was considered holy to be married. That was your lot. You get married. But Paul claimed to be single. But if you look closely and you look at some of the traditions, because of the, the fact that tra uh, traditionally Pharisees were married at a very young age, Paul was most likely married at one time. But when you see some of the scriptures, when he's talking about whether you should be single or not single in one of the books, you know, after being widowed, he's, he's encouraging people to be like him. Which tends to think that maybe Paul's wife had died. That as a Pharisee, he took a wife as an early, but something happened and she died. And he became a widower. And he was t urging people who were widowed to be like him to stay single as opposed to him just being single all his life. They had the context of him just to stay single because you want to dedicate yourselves to the kingdom work. And he wasn't saying that marriage is bad or anything like that. He was just saying that, you know, marriage has those responsibilities. And he, he was speaking as if somebody who had understanding in that, like firsthand understanding of being married. You, you got some, you got you to take care of your wife. You got to take care of things. And so you're, you're kind of divided when it comes to just going and doing whatever he says so i'm not saying that's that's thus saith the lord paul was uh probably a widower but there's a lot of evidence even contextual evidence when he's writing about that to say that he was most likely married and his wife had died it could leave it open to divorce because pharisees could divorce they, they had loopholes in the law <laughs> that allowed them to be divorced. But whatever you believe in that, at the time he wrote Romans, he wasn't married. He didn't have a wife. Um, which also, if you believe he was widowed or divorced, could lend to think that Paul maybe had kids. Because that was another thing to do when you got married. <laughs> so it's possible he had children. But he doesn't write about them, at least in the books that we have in the canon of Scripture. How many, does anybody know how many books he wrote or he's accredited with in the New Testament? Just shout off all you Bible scholars, shout it off. 16. 16? <laughs> I'm going to go with the 12. you going to go with 12? Oh, he's closer than 16. <laughs> if the price is right, he would have won. Because <laughs> he was <laughs> under the amount instead of over. 
13, yes. He's accredited with 13 books in the New Testament. How many books in the New Testament? If you, if you, 27, yes, very good, very good. Yeah, so he wrote half of the New Testament. If you think, if you believe he wrote Hebrews, which is the book that some people argue he wrote, I personally don't believe he did it, but he could have. There's some good arguments for it, but he could have written 14, so even more than half is accredited to Paul. Um, so, Paul, we talked about his conversion a little bit, already we alluded to it. What, what made him change his, his uh, Pharisee thing? Do you all remember the, the transformation of Paul? Do you remember what it was, Johnny? What caused him to change his mind? He just struck off a horse. Huh? Struck off a horse. Struck off a horse. He may have been. He doesn't say that, though. But <laughs> he may have been. <laughs> well, Balaam had an issue with a donkey. <laughs> well, there were some kings who were... Talk about the white horse. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the horse bucked them. That was horse. Children's Bible. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. It's possible because there was a thunderbolt involved. And he could have. He could have been struck off. So what was the conversion? What was? <laughs> huh? A blinding light. A voice from the heavens. Okay, what? Two buddies that were confused. <laughs> Two buddies that were confused? Yeah. Yeah. Paul's? Yeah, Paul's conversion, yeah. Wasn't he, like, um, convicted? Or like he was going to kill somebody? Or? Close. He was on his way to do some persecution stuff. Yeah, you probably did watch a movie. There was probably yeah. some Hollywood uh, <laughs> additions. Because I said it was possible. I was saying, I don't know if he was riding a horse or not, if he was on foot. <laughs> yeah, he already killed Stephen and then he was on his way to Damascus for another. That was good. That was, <laughs> that was one of my Bible questions in one of my, uh, when I taught Bible. What city was Paul going to on the way to Damascus? <laughs> you knew how many people missed that question? <laughs> on the road to Damascus, what city was Paul going to? <laughs> people were like, uh, <laughs> Israel? <laughs> I got that. <laughs> so don't worry about it if, you, if I'm stumping you on some of these questions. <laughs> some of it's... Uh, so... Paul was on his on the way to Damascus to persecute, yes, more Christians after he had actually held the robes of guys who stoned Stephen. So he just witnesses and with approving and if you don't know what stoning was like back then, it wasn't this long baseball throw that you could dodge. They would either push a person into a hole or corner them, and it was it'd be about as close as this to where you're looking at that person in the hole, and you're taking up not just little rocks, you're taking up large stones and just aiming for the head. Stoning was brutal and personal and up close. And it says they looked at Stephen's face and it says it's shown like an angel. At the end. And he was saying, Father, forgive them. As he was taking their rocks. You know, you think of these coquina stones that we have up here. It's not that. What kind of mindset you got to be to throw a rock at somebody continuously? <laughs> and you think about Paul's mindset. To do this, he was considered one of the great teachers, 
the Pharisees were considered like, and he was giving the approval to murder this guy. It says he was holding, here, you want to go pick up a stone? I'll hold your jacket. You see the Jedis when they disrobe so that they can fight? Back then they would disrobe so they could be free to throw rocks. He was holding their jackets, watching and approving the murder of Stephen. And so, not only did he do that, but he would go from house to house and pull out the men of the house, fathers, disrupted families, put fathers and mothers in jail, prison, had them tortured. Paul was vicious in his zeal for Yahweh. Um, and it became in vogue to persecute the church under his leadership. If you truly are a believer in Yahweh, you will take up arms. He was a revolutionary too for his time. Um, so I want you to understand that his conversion wasn't a small thing. And God you literally hit him upside the head with a two-by-four of light <laughs> and thunder. Some people, it takes some time to convert. Paul, it took a heavenly two-by-four to smack him maybe off a horse. <laughs> Preston's going to stick to that story. <laughs> um, and a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's interesting that, that, that that's what Jesus said. Why are you persecuting me? And I want you to notice that in, that in that understanding because he said, I'm not, you know, who are you, number one? I'm Jesus. I am Jesus. And those two words go a long way to I want you to understand that the first two words that I am Jesus. The Old Testament understood what I am, the great I am. That's how God introduced himself. His first, one of his first names was I am. This was God. This was Yahweh. I am. I love that name. It's present tense. <laughs> it's all encompassing. Jesus actually claimed it in front of the Pharisees while he was on the earth. He says, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And then all he goes through all this. At the end, he goes. And this is in the book of Matthew. He says, "And if you want to know who I am, he says, I am." And the Pharisees knew exactly who he was claiming to be at that point. God in the flesh. I am. And this is what he says to. He says, and it's crazy because. Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Stephen. That was fresh. He goes, no, you're persecuting me if you're persecuting them. Because what did he claim about the church? He says, the church is my body. Indwelt by my Holy Spirit. They are me. That statement was powerful, not only for who Jesus is, but who we are. And I want to regain this identity. And Paul's like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> Can't see anymore because <laughs> now I got all of my, you took my sight away. That light blinded him. Everybody else heard thunder. Paul heard a voice. And it's interesting because Paul's conversion, no other, it wasn't, it wasn't through another person trying to persuade him through the scriptures. It was direct revelation from the great I am himself, Jesus. And Paul talks about some of this revelation in later books. He says, listen, I had the revelation and whether I was in my body or out of my body, I'm not sure. But I was, I was given visions and things, a scene that I can't even describe in words. 
The first three years of Paul's conversion was, from all we know, one-on-one. And what happened with all the scripture that he was taught, it started coming alive. There was a fulfillment of all the knowledge that he had gotten from those 39 books started coming to life. And we know that because he would go into the synagogues and start teaching the scriptures, the Old Testament, and showing how Jesus was the fulfillment of those scriptures. But it took a lightning bolt (laughs) to bring him to his senses of what the truth was. And it didn't reveal himself in another book. It revealed himself, he revealed himself. The truth revealed himself personally to him. It was three years before he actually met the apostles. He started preaching pretty much right away. But the early church was afraid of him. (laughs) And you can understandably so. But also, I want you to understand that here's a man who was converted, who later would write, of all the things that I knew, of all the things I taught, of all the things I was holding on to as my performance in pleasing God, I now consider it all garbage for the sake of knowing Him. And this is where I think it becomes very something that Paul was counting on his works, his good works, his, his wisdom to find favor in the eyes of God. But when he met Jesus, he now realized he needed somebody to save him. In our Christian culture, we haven't really experienced the need for a savior because we're pretty good. We're raised, especially if we're raised in it. Not all of us was raised in it. I know, Matt, you weren't raised in it necessarily. Maybe some Catholic. Hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but a lot of us here were raised in it. We were like Paul. We were raised in the scriptures. We were raised taught, even though we don't quite know them. <laughs> we're not very good at them. But we were raised in it. But Paul was gripped with the understanding that I need, I need a savior. from the get-go. And I can't imagine what he had to face knowing that he had murdered, he had broken up homes that were trying to live out this truth. What kind of conscience did Paul have trying to speak now the same truth to people that he had just recently either killed husbands broken up families. He had to depend on something for his conscience. I don't, and, and you kind of see some of it going into some of his writings because this is how he calls himself. This is in 1 Timothy also. Here is a trustworthy saying. This is 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. This is Paul again. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I'm going to read that again because this is why I'm teaching it to us. This this thing that Paul's saying. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. If you ever want to write anything and put it on your bathroom wall, that's what Paul is saying right now. Write this down. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst.
the whole first chapter, we'll go into that next week. What verse is this? This is in this is in First Timothy. Yeah, this is one of Paul's letters to one of his Padawans, <laughs> one of his young pastors. It says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, he was shown mercy. On the road to Damascus, he was shown mercy because God stopped him in his tracks. He said, you got to stop the path you're on. And he was shown mercy. You don't deserve this. What I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to show you, what I'm about, how I'm about to relate to you. But you need it. <laughs> mercy, mercy, mercy has the idea of somebody getting stoned or getting deserving to die, fitting to die. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, God says, nope. And it says, so that in me, this is so that in me, Christ Jesus, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. In other words, my, my, my sin, the things that I was doing, all that stuff is an example, not my good works. Not my performance is going to convince people of God's patience to mankind, but the fact that I was a sinner, the fact that I was somebody who deserved to die, so that my, my, my life was a mess to where now, how I'm living now is representative of God's mercy, not my ability to be good, but God's ability to be patient with somebody who's had issues. <laughs> and so that's why we're here because I believe sitting around me and those who are listening, either you've, you've had issues or you're going through issues. Some of us are hiding issues. <laughs> And Paul's bringing it to light. It's like, listen, you're a candidate then for some good news. <laughs> some good news that God is still a God of mercy, a God of patience, and a God who wants to reflect himself in you. So, we we'll have to understand when we get into Romans chapter 1, understand a little bit about the author. And we're going to end that portion right there.